Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Waypoint. My name is Austin. Um, I'm one of the student uh, pastors here, and I'm just so thankful for this opportunity. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you're watching online, welcome. I love you, mom. So um, I, I just want to start off by saying something really cool happened to um, Morgan and I um, exactly two months ago. Uh, this little, not the, this little munchkin, Ophelia Mae Bensis was born, and gosh, I miss her already. Look at that, blue steel, just right off the bat. That's a zoop, anyway, funny movie. Um, <laughs> this, I get distracted a lot up here, all right, so just bear with me and hang in there with me. It's going to be a good morning, all right, strap in, okay? Um, but wow, what an incredible experience uh, that was, honestly, um, just amazing to all of you moms out there, props to you. You guys are incredible. Um, serious. Can we just, moms? I know it's not Mother's Day, but like every Sunday should be, should be this, okay? Um, but we're just so overjoyed uh, with this little one, and I just want to take a second and say thanks uh, for your support, um, your prayers. Uh, it was awesome. So, uh, but honestly, gosh, it, it feels, it, it's crazy because it feels like she was just born yesterday, but somehow our sweet Ophie is two months Time is just flying by. And like, uh, on top of that, how can we be already almost out of March? Uh, isn't that, it's crazy. Like, how many of you would be surprised if I told you Easter is in two weeks? Right? So, thank you. That's, uh, you're not a bad Christian if you didn't know Easter was in two weeks, okay? Like, we can, we can be honest here this morning. This is church, for goodness sakes. But, um, like, if you didn't know, Easter's in two weeks. And before I worked in a church, Easter would always sneak up on me, too. And I think that unless you grew up in a home... Unless you grew up in a home that participated in some of these uh, church traditions surrounding a Christian calendar, other than Christmas and Easter, right? Everybody does that. Um, like me, you're probably surprised when Easter shows up every year. <clears throat> unless, unless you're also like me and you've got the mother-in-law that's texting you, calling you, reminding you that she's hosting lunch. Nobody? Okay, just me. But like, or, other than that, other, other than that, we're... We're just kind of adrift when it comes to this stuff. Um, now, there might be some of you out there who are like, not me, Austin, like, hold up. I knew Easter was coming up. I'm participating in Lent, all right? I gave, I gave up something this year. And so there might be some of us here who follow uh, some sort of Christian calendar, and you might be part maybe you've participated in Advent or Epiphany or Lent or Pentecost, um, or maybe some of you are like me, and we know uh, Easter is coming up when we start to see these in the store, <laughs> right? You want some? You want one? Do you? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Oh, man. I thought that was going to go everywhere for a second. Anyone else want one? No? You, would you like it? Boom. Look at that. Oh, that was a bad toss. Sorry. Normally when I like, offer candy on Wednesday nights, like middle schoolers go nuts. So come on, guys. How's that one for you? Too hard. Okay. All right. Anybody else before I go? Okay, we've got a couple. Mitchell in the back. Man. There you go. Mitchell. Nope. Not going to happen. That's for you, Dan. It's just good. Dan didn't raise his hand. All right. That's for Mitchell. Does someone else want one? Okay. You would like one back there? All right. Ready? That one somewhat made it. All right. You guys did not expect me throwing candy up here. All right. I got to save some for next service. Okay. All right. So, right. Um... <coughs> Sometimes it's those 
that remind us <laughs> that Easter is coming, coming up. And, and um, for most of church history, followers of Jesus uh, have had their lives woven into some sort of Christian calendar where they'd mark certain moments and days in history and remember and reflect on this big story that they are a part of. But again, when it's, when it's these eggs, when it's these eggs that remind us what season uh, that we are in, it really does show us how adrift we are when it comes to the idea of this Christian um, calendar. And honestly, I think it's to our detriment um, because uh, many of us, myself included, aren't only like this when it comes to the Christian calendar, right? We're just as surprised when it's almost April, when April comes. We're just as surprised when we realize our baby is two months or when we're already scheduling and setting up our, 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 our kids' freshman year at high school or when we're about to graduate and we're looking at, what are we going to go to college? Are we, gonna go, are we, are we just going to go right into work? Are we going to go to trade school? What are we going to travel? What are we going to do? And I, and I don't think it's uncommon for us to have these wide-eyed moments of realization where we're like, wow, already? Like, where has the time gone? And it tells me that our perception of our passage through time is chaotic and disordered. And the whole purpose of having some sort of Christian calendar to live our lives in accordance with is to provide moments where you stop, you pause, and you remember that the story that we live out day to day fits into a bigger picture. It's not just sleep, eat work, repeat. No, your life, your story has a role to play in this bigger story um, that we should take time to remind ourselves of. So here is a pretty basic Christian calendar I found. I don't know if, uh, sorry for some of you. Um, and I, I say basic because I do think that this leaves, um, that there are cer certain days and events um, within those categories that uh, I believe are important for us as, as as followers of Jesus to participate in because I think they can offer us a unique perspective of Jesus's life and um, really kind of propel us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Now, this would not have been the calendar that Jesus uh, would have lived his life by. Jesus was raised in Jewish culture um, following a Jewish calendar, uh, which actually the Christian calendar is, is born out of. And uh, you, you see, Jewish culture has been remembering and participating in these, these ancient, and ancient and sacred moments for, for millennia now, like thousands and thousands of years. So you see, Jewish, um, in Jewish culture, there are moments daily, weekly, and annually where they pause, retell, and remember foundational stories um, that, uh, in the scripture that, that remind them of who they are um, and what their identity is. For example, there's, a, there's one festival in, in, in the fall um, actually, in the fall, there's a bunch of festivals. It's called the High Holidays, and there's a specific festival that I think some of us in this room would enjoy, and it's, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's, it's where you go out and you camp out in your backyard with friends and family in order to remember the ancestors as they lived in tents and wandered uh, through the wilderness. And then there's Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. There's Rosh Hashanah to celebrate the new year and the giving of the Torah, the first books of the Bible. Um, but the pinnacle, the pinnacle of the Jewish uh, calendar is, takes place in the spring. And it's a festival that actually coincides with Easter um, and Palm Sunday. And it's a festival, uh, it's a feast called Passover. 
And Passover is a week-long festival that remembers and celebrates God rescuing Israel out of slavery from Pharaoh and Egypt and delivering them into the promised land. You guys have seen, like, The Prince of Egypt, that movie? Anybody? Anybody seen it? All right, a couple of people have. I think maybe more my generation that, that saw This is a good movie. You guys should watch that. All right. And at the end of this festival, everyone participates in a meal called the Passover Seder. And every element in this meal is a symbol telling the ancient story of redemption from slavery to the promised land. It, and and in this, in, it's, it's this culture, it's this calendar that Jesus would have grown up in. It would have shaped his view of the world and his view of who he was. And so he would have grown up just steeped in this calendar, steeped in all of this, this culture. And so this morning we're going to read how Jesus took the Passover meal with his disciples and transformed the meaning of it to take on a whole new significance around him and what was to come. Because I believe if we don't grasp the Passover, we won't grasp Jesus. Because Jesus chose the Passover to communicate the significance of his death and so and resurrection and so it's no coincidence that passover and easter connect every year friends jesus was really intentional really intentional when he chose the week leading up to passover as his final week and he was clear about this he told us in fact he told his disciples multiple times even though they didn't get it he told them that he was going to Jerusalem to die. So Jesus, right, he has this triumphant entry into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey. You know, there's, there's palms, and he wastes no time getting this festival started, right, getting this party started. He walks into the temple, and he cleanses it by flipping some tables and driving out money changers, and this ticks off a lot of people, but especially the religious leaders of that day. And as the week went on, the conflict escalated, and and until to a point where the religious people eventually put in motion a plot to kill Jesus, and, and they basically put a warrant out for his arrest. And it is, in fact, the Passover night when it all comes to a head. So if you have your Bibles, or if you've got the app, or if you just want to follow along on the screen, we're going to pick up in Luke 22, verse 7. And we're just going to trace how Jesus took this, uh, and at Jesus' time, this was already, this Passover tradition was already 1,500 years old. This is something that their culture had been doing for 1,500 years. And we're going to see how Jesus takes this tradition of Passover and brings whole new meaning, a whole new significance to it. So in verse 7, it says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. So it's clear here that the Last Supper was actually a Passover Seder. And what's more interesting here, I think, is that his disciples would have been participating in this Passover meal anywhere from 12 to 24 hours before everyone else. And here's why. Because Jesus didn't have 24 more hours. He didn't. In 24 hours, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. And so they would have been having this meal very late at night or in the very early hours of the morning, long before anyone else would have been. All right, and so the, the disciples then reply in verse 9, and they say, where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you this large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus told them, so they prepared the Passover. So let's think about this for a second. 
right? This is Jesus' last night. He's a wanted man, partially because of the stunt he pulled in the temple, but also because he was the most controversial public figure in the city for the last seven days of this festival. So he couldn't just go walking around at this point. Yet somehow Jesus has prearranged secretly everything. Jesus, spy mastermind, am I right? Like, this is totally the setup of an Oceans movie. Anyone a fan of those? Yeah, this is totally a setup of an Oceans. Like, we're going we're gonna to call this Oceans AD, right? And I'm going to have someone Photoshop, like, Photoshop a, a movie poster for me with starring Jesus Clooney, you know? Like, it's going to be like that. Thank you. You guys are awesome. <laughs> oh, man. But seriously, Jesus is, like, go into the city, go into the city, and look for, find the man carrying the water jar, carrying a jar of water which you think would be like oh, a, a man carrying a jar of water. Like, you think it wouldn't make sense because with Passover being this, this pilgrimage festival, there would be a ton of people. They would have flocked to the city. They would have come back. So it just would have been packed with people. But actually, this makes a ton of sense because typically in these traditional cultures, who would go to fetch the water? Who would go to fetch the water? Women. Yeah, it's super, super messed up. But women would go to fetch the water. So when Peter and John see a man carrying this jar of water, they would have been like, that is, that's clearly our guy. Because the, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't a normal thing. So Jesus sets all of this up in secret because he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming, and he knew he didn't have long, like less than a day, right? And he wanted to create this quiet moment for him and his disciples uh, so that he could explain his, the final hours um, of his life and the meaning of his death by having a Passover meal. And so before we go any further, I, I just want to take a second because I think it's important for us to understand a little bit about this Passover meal. Um, while it's not done the same everywhere, there are certain things that are definitely in every Passover meal, um, every Passover Seder. So every Passover Seder is broken up into four different segments by four cups of wine. Uh, one to start off the meal, the second uh, after the retelling of the Exodus story, right, retelling of their slavery and redemption out of Egypt, um, the third after the meal, and the fourth cup after the Seder, at the end of the Seder. And every Seder, according to uh, Rabbi Gamaliel, you guys know who that guy is, right? Everybody? Anybody, does anybody by chance know who Rabbi Luke, do you? Rabbi Gamaliel? Maybe you guys know a student of his, formerly a man named Saul, wrote the books, a lot of the books of the Bible, the New Testament, right? Okay, so we, we know this guy. Okay, so Rabbi Gamaliel once said that a Passover Seder, Passover meal, must include at least these three things, the unleavened bread, um, the unleavened bread, which is right there in the middle. Um, and it was unleavened because it, it, the, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they didn't have time to wait for the yeast and the bread to rise. So they just had to take this unleavened bread and throw it on because their bags were packed, they were ready to go, they had to leave. All right? The second thing would be the bitter herb. Uh, more often than not, that's like just ground horseradish. It's super bitter. And, and this is the, it, to make you cry. Literally to make you cry. That's the point of this. So that you can participate in the suffering of your ancestors. Okay? And then you also have, of course, the sacrificial lamb, uh, which, which was killed uh, so that its blood would take the place of the death um, as a result of the final plague in Egypt. So it's pretty safe to assume that the Passover that Jesus was about to participate in had at least... Uh, these things, even though it's not necessarily specifically recorded. So we're going to continue in verse 14, okay? 
When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, divide this, or take this, and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so after taking this first cup, Jesus right away begins transforming the Passover. And the disciples just would have been puzzled too because it's, it's been the same thing. Like, bro, it's been the same thing for 1,500 years. Like, you don't, you don't change the Passover unless you're Jesus, I guess. Because, because what is this Passover meal about? What is this Passover meal about? What's it about? It is about the Exodus story, retelling that story. It's about the past. It's about their slavery in Egypt. And what does Jesus do? He takes it and makes it about the future and what is to come. You see, instead of pointing towards the past, Jesus points it forward, and he says his suffering, his death, that's what it's about. It's about, his, it's about the fulfillment of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of God coming, he says. And if you've read the Gospel of Luke and, and paid attention, you would know that Jesus often used this kingdom language to summarize the story of the Bible. That God's, that God's promise is to rescue and bless all nations, to forgive and redeem his world. And Jesus says, the, look, this, it is happening. It is happening, and it is happening right now. It is happening in me. The kingdom of God is here in me, Jesus says. And so now this meal, he takes this meal and he points it forward to this climactic moment of the kingdom of God arriving at his death. Next in the meal, they would have had a delicious appetizer of some like leafy vegetable that would have, they would have dipped in salt water. Yum, right? Totally sounds delicious. And this is likely left out of the story because, um, we, because they just assume we know it takes place in a traditional Passover meal. Next, someone would retell the Exodus story and then they would drink the second cup of wine. And obviously a lot more than this takes place, but for the sake of time, we're just going to keep going. And uh, now we're all caught up with Jesus and his disciples. Let's continue in verse 19. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the disciples would have taken this bread and eaten it together, totally confused. Totally confused. Like, Jesus, I don't know what Passover you grew up doing, but, like, this, it's the unleavened bread. Like, we, because, the, because the, the Israelites and the slavery and not having time, right, the haste. But Jesus, again, takes part of this ancient, ancient tradition and gives it new meaning. Because what his disciples didn't know was that in just, in, in roughly 12 hours or so, Jesus' body was going to be whipped and broken and hung on a cross to die. And so now this bread symbolizes that act. It symbolizes Jesus' body broken for you, for others. You see, bread was a staple food back then during this time. It would, it would, have, been, it would have been a primary source of sustenance and life for them. And, and, and that's what Jesus is communicating here. He's like, this is my body broken for you so you can have life. So after they ate the bread, um, they would have eaten that, that bitter herb um, to participate 
and the suffering of their ancestors. And, and after the bitter herb would come the sacrificial lamb. And this would have been a lamb that they would have picked out a year ago. It would have been without blemish. And it actually would have lived with them for an entire year. They would have had this lamb with them. Um, and then they would have taken, and got, taken it to the temple and sacrificed it. And then you would have taken home the meat and the blood. And the reason you took home the blood was because in God's 10th and final strike to Egypt in the Exodus story, um, he, he sends a messenger of death, a plague of death, uh, that would take the firstborn son of every family. However, Yahweh provided a way of mercy. And so whoever would take this blood and paint it across their doorpost would be passed over by this angel of death. They would be passed over. And so anyone, Egyptian or Israelite, if they did that, they would be covered and protected by the blood. So every year, they'd get to the lamb and they would remember and reflect on the blood of the Passover lamb that covered them so they could be spared. And so Jesus, he then takes this third cup that's associated with the blood of the lamb and he says, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so at this moment in the meal, you would have had the blood of the lamb on your mind. But now Jesus is saying, it is no longer the blood of the lamb that covers us, spares us, and rescues us. Um, it's Jesus' blood. A new covenant in my blood, Jesus says. And a covenant was this term that is, that is used to communicate the promise and the mission that God has for his people to rescue and redeem them, this world, and bring it back to God in relationship with God. And so Jesus says this is a new covenant, a new covenant connected to the blood of a new lamb. And it's evident that Jesus believed that what was coming in the next few hours was a new exodus. And he is the Passover lamb. And he used this exodus story Right, the story of redemption out of slavery. He used this Exodus story to communicate his death to his disciples so that they might be able to make sense of what's about to happen. And Jesus just swaps out all the characters with himself. So all of a sudden, it's not through the lamb dying and that they're eating that, they're, that the redemption is going to take place, but it's actually through Jesus' death. His body broken. His blood poured out. Jesus himself, he saw himself dying in the place of others. You see, and this is actually how Jesus explained the meaning of his death to his disciples. Jesus didn't teach a whole lot on the meaning of his death. He told his disciples often that he was going to die. But Jesus didn't teach less than a page on the meaning of his death. You see, Jesus didn't teach a sermon on his death. He didn't write a book or a letter on his death. He prepared a meal. And so we, together as a church family, next week, we are going to participate in this meal. We're going to be putting on this meal. So I, I invite you, I invite you next Sunday to come and join us um, as, we, as we participate in this tradition of a Passover Seder together. And it is, it is our hope, it's our hope that this is a fun and interesting experience for you and, and just a great weekend for you and your family. But if that's all that it is, friends, if that's all that it is, 
we've missed the point. We're still adrift. These events and these days that sneak up on us weren't meant um, to sneak up on us. They were meant to be intentional moments where we pause and we reflect on the story of who we are. Who we are. Because Jesus, when he looked out at the world, he didn't see Israelites and Egyptians. He didn't see Jews and Gentiles or who God is against or who God is for. Jesus saw people, people made uniquely in God's image. And what Jesus knows about people is that our hearts are complicated. You guys probably know this about people too. Our hearts are complex, complicated things, capable of displaying great beauty and love and goodness, but also enslaved. Enslaved to dark powers and dark things that lead us deeper into slavery. And Jesus knew this because Jesus said that it's out of the heart. It is out of the heart that evil thoughts come. It's why we're told not to follow our hearts, but to guard our hearts, in fact. Because it's things like bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and selfishness and lust that lead us deeper into slavery. And I, and I don't have to, I could keep going. I don't have to communicate this, communicate this to you because I imagine you guys already know this. This brokenness is all around us. And band, if you, if you want to start coming up, um, the brokenness is all around us. It's in our, the, our broken relationships. It's in our broken families, our broken marriages, and the result is our neighborhoods and our cities and governments that look like ours. And then the moment any one of us tries to clean our hands of it and say, you know, at least, but at least, at least I'm not like those people. How naive can we be? You see, Jesus Jesus could see that there was Pharaoh in all of us, a darkness that perpetrates slavery. What we really need to be rescued from isn't the tyranny of Egypt, it isn't the tyranny of Rome, and it isn't the tyranny of our government. What we really need to be rescued from is the slavery of our own hearts to sin and the darkness in this world. And it's this meal, this Passover meal, that Jesus communicates that to us, that his life was a life lived on behalf of others. His death was a stand-in for your death. He would die so others may live. And the Passover, the Passover is that. It's, it's the gospel. It's the story of the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus who loved us gave himself for us to free us. And it's precisely at this moment when that ancient meal, that Passover meal, is no longer ancient. Because in those moments, Jesus confronts each and every single one of us, and we have a choice. You have a choice. Do you really believe that Jesus can free you? Whatever crap you have in your life, we've all got it. Whatever darkness you have in your heart, 
do you believe that Jesus can free you from it? Because that is precisely what he came here to do. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. <laughs> I don't know why you're here this morning. You could have been dragged here by someone. But Jesus knows why you're here. Jesus knows why you're here. And believe me when I tell you, he is a way maker. Jesus is a miracle worker. Keeps his promises. He is a light, the light, in the darkness of this world. And I promise you, promise you, he loves you. I urge you this morning to consider choosing him. We're going to have a time of worship, and I, I just, my prayer for you is that you choose Jesus this morning. You follow Jesus this morning. You recommit your life to Jesus this morning, whatever that looks like. I challenge you, I urge you to do that. We're going to worship together. Let's end out the service. Thank you. Amen? Amen? Amen.